Hey, my friend, welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My name is Lori Seitz. I'm an entrepreneur, mentor, founder of Zen Rabbit, and your instigator in saying fuck being fine. This show is for those of you who are done living with the dumpster fire and are ready to find the tools and courage to transform, to step into more success and fulfillment in both your personal and business life. You're in the right place for stories of self-discovery, gratitude, and connection. And to help you strengthen that connection to your own inner guidance, you'll find each episode has an accompanying meditation. Now let's get into it. On today's show, I get to talk with human kindness leader and possibility coach, Gina Lemon. Gina's parents divorced when she was six, and she and her mom moved around throughout her childhood. Like many Gen Xers, she was given a lot of independence, which translated into a constant striving for excellence, which translated into a belief that accomplishments get you appreciation. She was 17 when her dad died of AIDS, which, as you'll hear, has informed her purpose today. We chat about the ABCs of life, supporting other people even when they have different perspectives from you. And what can happen when you speak your truth? And of course, we get into what happened when Gina realized fine wasn't fine at all. After leaving her corporate VP of human resources position in 2021, Gina started a consulting company to partner with clients who believe they can change the status quo and make a positive impact on the world. She loves helping people find their passions and live their best futures today instead of allowing the past to dictate what happens next. You might remember a few weeks ago, my guest was Raul Benavides, the guy who founded Heart Soul Heat with the Ghost Honey. Father's Day is coming up and this could be the perfect gift for the guy who has everything. Use code FINE at checkout and get 20% off your first order at heartsoulheat.com. Oh, and one more thing. Think about your work week. Think about your home life. Do they bring a smile of joy to your face? Or are you constantly waiting for things to change? Here's some harsh news. They're not going to change unless you change them. And taking a spa day isn't going to fix the stress in your life. Hey, life is short. It's time to do the work now. Or you can keep waiting. The next small group, eight-week, fuck-being-fine program starts in just a few weeks. Get in and radically increase your focus, energy, and happiness while learning to stay calm and grounded no matter what. Here's what one of the participants says about his experience. Every conversation is different now. I'm always looking for the positive. This is definitely rewiring my brain. If this opportunity speaks to your heart, join me for the next cohort. Find out more at zenrabbit.com or text me at 571-317-1463. Hello and welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My guest today is Gina Lemon. Welcome to the show, Gina. Hello. Thank you so much for having me here. It's my pleasure. I'm really excited to talk with you. I'm excited too. This is great. Thank you for having me. Jumping right in. 
what is what were the beliefs and values that you were raised with that influenced you as you grew up? That's a great question. The interesting thing is my parents divorced when I was six. So that really shaped a lot of who I was uh, because I saw my mom really work hard and she had a really strong work ethic. And it was really a lot of what's next for me. How do you want to continue to be more and more successful? Because there was not really this partnership that she could rely on or have communion with. So that was one of the challenges is that I was always striving in life because of this belief that there's uh, always something that's next. What's next? What's next? Uh, also, because my parents did divorce um, and my mom was an executive housekeeper, she was headhunted a lot. So we moved around the country a lot and I was always the new kid. So I was in five schools within seven years. And it was, I know, it was a lot. And it was this opportunity to say, okay, how do I want to redefine myself? So there was this uh, perpetual motion almost of who I was and how I was being developed. Uh, And I was really independent, right? Like no one was there (laughs) watching over me or giving me guidance because the other piece I did not mention is I was an only child. So a lot of independence, a lot of striving for perfection, Uh, was how I was raised. And I think what's also interesting is that my dad was gay. And because I was always the new kid, I was, I felt like I was always othered that I never really fully belonged into a group because I was always so new that to build those deep bonds and relationships and connection was challenging. I think that also provided me to be an extrovert and to learn a lot about the people that are around me. So some good things and some challenging things. Yeah. How did, how did you define success? It sounds like you defined success when you were younger as accomplishment. A hundred percent. It was how many things can I be involved in? Mm-hmm. Uh, how can I get the appreciation that maybe I wasn't receiving from my father or my mother? So yeah, I was in theater. I was in marching band. I was in 101 organizations. Um, everyone would say, Gina, how can you do so much? And why are you burning your candles at both ends? And for me, it felt normal mm-hmm. because I had the capacity and there was not a lot of guidance. I was able to do whatever, whenever, because I saw my mom having to struggle to provide for me and herself. Yeah. Did you have a lot of interaction with your dad at that point? I mean, if you were moving around a lot and was he in in one place, did you get to have a relationship with him? So I was born in Minneapolis and he continued to live here after my parents divorced. So I would come and see him every summer. Uh, the interesting thing is, is a lot of my, of who I was and how I was developed wasn't really framed or shaped up by him because we would spend maybe a week or two weeks together. Uh, so I, the one thing that has come from my father is really this entrepreneurial spirit because he had and owned a pet shop in downtown Minneapolis. So I think that's where my entrepreneurial spirit comes today. However, when we would get together, we'd go see a movie. So there wasn't a lot of time to communicate and connect. So again, I also saw my father striving and owning his own life from the creation of this pet shop. 
so it was it was an interesting and unique experience. And then, unfortunately, um, my father passed away when I was seventeen. Oh, wow. So there has not been a lot of opportunity to connect because when you're a child, I think you're pretty self absorbed. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Right. And, and you don't have to, an adult relationship with your parent because you were, he was only around when you were a child. Mm-hmm. It was, he was. And, uh, in the twin cities, what I realized as I continued to get to know my father better and better is that he was actually gay. And that's what was the reason why my parents divorced. And when I had the opportunity to connect with him every summer, uh, I learned more and more about the fact that, okay, you know, my dad is in a different type of relationship and that's probably why my parents divorced in the first place. And, you know, a lot of, so I would say I had two really moments where my beliefs were really defined. One, when I was six, my parents got divorced. And the other was when I was 17, when my dad died of AIDS, um, his partner cheated on him and brought AIDS back to the relationship. Oh my gosh. And he told me three months before he died that he had AIDS. It was really hard for him to tell me. He probably had it for a good, like four or five years, uh, as he was struggling with what to do and how to tell me. So I had three months to process and because I actually asked him if he was gay, I had an inkling that he was, but we never really talked about it. Mm -hmm. So I asked him if he was gay and I had to process that he was gay and dying of AIDS all within three months. Wow. And 17. At 17. A hundred. Yeah. At 17. It's a lot to digest as a child. I want to go back to the question of what success looks like for you because has your definition changed? now. Yeah. I think from a a definition of success perspective, it was a lot about achievement. So I would have almost considered myself a hyper achiever that nothing was ever enough. I kept going and going and going. And yet that hole of love and appreciation was never fully satisfied. So that was my definition of success is how much can I accomplish in this world? (laughs) How much can I get done? Yeah, I can totally relate to that because that has been me for a very long time as well. And I remember doing an exercise where you pick three values. And one of mine is, it's actually over here on my, on my board uh, is accomplished. Um, Yeah. And I think what's interesting for me is that I never have had accomplished as one of my values. I think it was an outcome of what I didn't have. And some of my values were around diversity and belonging and health and security. Uh, And I think because those were my values that played out in this, how can I feel belonging Honestly, I wanted to belong to a community. I wanted to belong to a group. And I think with all the moving as well, mm-hmm. it impacted how that was shaped for me. And so to get back to your question of, you know, what does success look like today? It's shifted because, you know, fast forward, I'm no longer a child. I've been married. I've had two children and I've also been divorced. <clears throat> so with all of those, I would say life Uh, movements and opportunities and challenges is that you gain a different perspective as well. So my perspective on success is really how are the other people in my life doing? How are, how's my community doing? So it's really about for me, the other at this point, 
that I know I'm accomplished and I know that I'm worthy and that I'm enough. So how can other people feel that? How can other people struggle less? So it's really focused on the other at this point. And how you can contribute to helping them feel whole. A hundred percent. Yeah. Because we can only control ourselves. Like we can't control how they feel or how healthy they are. We can only contribute to helping them become a better, better version of themselves. I just want to make that clarification because sometimes people feel like it's their responsibility to make someone feel (laughs) some way and we can't make someone do anything just like no one can make us. You know, people say all the time, like, well, she made me feel guilty. Did she really? Yeah, it's interesting because I think it's a, this responsibility process where I need to recognize what's going on in my own life and I need to acknowledge all the feelings and thoughts and beliefs to your perspective of what's really driving this particular outcome that I have. So for me, what I've gotten to over the past couple of years, because again, my dad died of AIDS, which was my pandemic one. Mm-hmm. So when COVID hit, which I consider my pandemic two, is uh, how do I feel aliveness, belonging, and connection? And how do I gain that? And really keep it simple. It's the ABCs of life, I call it. So if I can have aliveness, belonging, and connection, then once I feel whole and I feel that I can really have that and I'm no longer what I would call, say, struggling and now thriving, once I have that for myself, then what does it look like for others? And to really ask the question Because aliveness for me might look different than aliveness for you. And can I support your aliveness? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In that definition with whatever your definition is, because I think that's where we're struggling as a society, is that uh, I have one viewpoint, you have one viewpoint, and I think our responsibility is to come together to say, how do we support each other, even though our perspectives might be different? Yes. And understanding the other's perspective, even if you don't agree with it, coming to and finding the commonalities, you know, our, we seem so programmed to focus in on the differences and those just divide us when in reality, the commonality, there are far more commonalities than differences, but it's that whole thing of what you choose to focus on expands. So if you're going to focus on the differences, then that expands. Focus on the commonalities. Yeah. The other thing too, is that I think from an actual brain perspective, our brains are wired and really haven't changed since caveman days to be 70% negative. Mm -hmm. You know, the back part of our brains at hippocampus is really the fight, flight, freeze. And the prefrontal cortex is where we really need to spend most of our time. However, it's only 30% of the place that we go. So it was really interesting as I was thinking about your podcast. And by the way, I love the name of your podcast is Thank you. <laughs> that fine, that fine for me. And there's a level of another four letter word called fear. So I think that we have to be really honest with ourselves to say, how does fear show up for us as individuals? How does fear show up for the other? Because I think that at some level we're struggling with this fear word and we're not really what I would say, recognizing and acknowledging it. So if we can do that better, how would our lives shift and change? Yes. Oh, I just, I'm having so many thoughts around what you just said. And that fear, fear doesn't feel good. So people don't want to feel it or acknowledge it. And to your point, a lot of what's happening 
in society and in individuals as just as individuals is that they don't want to see that their their reactions, their responses, the things that are happening in their life are because of fear. I'm not afraid of anything. I just don't like that person. Well, and I think it um there's a couple of thoughts that come to my mind either the big word that comes up to my mind is delusional. So we can pretend and we can rationalize and we can justify and all of these other human emotions. I also like to talk in analogies. So if I have a rug and I keep sweeping everything under the rug, at some point I'm going to trip over all of the junk and garbage under the rug. Mm -hmm. So I think right now we have a really great time to pull up the rug and it just really say, wow, here's what it is. Maybe I'm not happy about it. Maybe I'm not proud of it. Maybe I wish I would have done things differently. And the more we can speak our own truths, it actually allows other people to speak their truths. Yeah. So when I got married at 26, guess what? Now that I'm divorced and have two children, I can honestly say that I married the person that I thought was going to be the best. I maybe, maybe I sacrificed or, you know, um, What's the word? Uh, Compromise. Yeah, like I, I think I, I think I compromised. I think I settled. That's mm. the word I was looking for. Is that I thought that he was the best that I could do. So tell me. So it's fear and scarcity mindset. So if I'm coming to the relationship with a perspective of this is the best I can do, how is that going to frame up the rest of my relationship? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's it. It's really interesting. It is interesting. And it's interesting because you can only have the perspective now looking back. You didn't see it at the time because you were doing the best you could to see what you saw. And, you know, I think a lot of times we end up beating ourselves up for things that we couldn't see, but you you were doing, you know, who is it that said you did the best you could with the tools you had at the time, the tools and the knowledge. Yeah. And it was really interesting because I thought about the same thing when my dad decided to come out and to be gay mm -hmm. is that I was really upset of, you know, how could you get married to a woman? How could you have a child and then leave the wife and the child and live your gay lifestyle? And then my perspective shifted to say, wow, he was honest with himself and what a blessing to be able to be honest with yourself. So I think that's also something that I've learned as I've grown up is we are only, we're trying to be as honest with ourselves as we can. And we also need other people around us to allow for that. So I'm so grateful that society has opened itself up to say, wow, we want to appreciate everyone regardless of how they uh, connect with their gender assigned at birth or who they really want to be in the world. So there's this really interesting dichotomy happening. We're allowing for so much love and space. And then also we're being challenged with not wanting to acknowledge that we have fear or we have differences. And are we, are we threatened by those? Right. Or how do we continue to open up? And if we are threatened by them to acknowledge that we are and then move forward from there, that's really where fear becomes the four-letter word. It's not having the fear, it's acknowledging it and figuring out what to do with it from there. Yeah, and I think much like how uh, beliefs are defining who we are in the world, that fear also helps define that at some level. And if we are open and can share that and be in community and not make it scary, I think that's the best thing. Going back to your ABC, 
it's that connection, like allowing for connection of allowing when you allow the space for somebody to be who they are and to explore who they are, not necessarily just show up and say, here's who I am because nobody is fully formed all in like ever really, right? We're always (laughs) reforming ourselves and allowing that space and making a connection with that person so that backing up, they feel like they belong and can be fully alive in who they are. It's really about allowing for that connection and not being scared, or even if you are scared or have fear, to still step into that space. It was very um, it was very powerful for me to go down, for example, to the George Floyd Memorial Square. I'm in Minneapolis. It's 10 miles away from me. I grew up 10 blocks away from where he was killed. And it was that opportunity for me as a white woman to go into that space and to honor him, to honor all of the travesties that have happened to our black brothers and sisters. And even though it was tough and even though my heart pitter pattered and even though I like held on to my keys tighter or whatever sort of paranoia that might've been going through my brain based on past issues, um, I still stepped into that community and it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. So I think at some level, we missing, we're missing out on opportunities day in and day out to have that connection and to have the belonging. The thought that just came to me as you were saying that is we're living much smaller than we need to. There you go. And so that I think has hit me really hard uh, through pandemic one, although I was a 17 year old, so I didn't know how to articulate that. I was still growing myself. So now that this pandemic has hit when I've you know been in my 40s, I've been able to honestly assess that to say, what do I want to do with this information? How can I uh, play on a bigger stage, make more of an impact and really allow the other, um, whoever that other is, to see that there's so many more possibilities that you can lean into than you would even want to recognize because we diminish our own possibilities all the time. Uh, And that's the name of my new company is People Possibility to really help others feel whole and to honor everyone in the work environment, because that's where we spend 90,000 hours of our time alive. So how are all of these communities that we're in, how are we able to really dig deep? And number one, honor people have the ABCs for everyone. And then also really help them understand what their possibilities are. I mean, I've biked all across the United States and some people are like, oh, I could never bike from Minneapolis to Chicago. I was like, you'd be surprised. (laughs) Yeah. You'd be surprised at what every human being can do. It's that we all make, we're all making different choices Mm -hmm. to how to utilize our time and resources. Right. Uh, so I bike and then, yep, I bike and then other people do other things, right? Like I don't have a podcast. You have a podcast. This is great. Right. (laughs) And it's about being in community and uplifting and supporting each other so that we're a little bit further ahead than where we were yesterday. Mm, I like that. Since the show is called fine is a four letter word. When would you define the time in your life when you said everything was fine, but it really wasn't? Oh, you know what? Um, I think from 22 to 44. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said that everything was fine. Um, you know, I got married and being married wasn't fine. Um, I had two children and I, as an only child with a mom that was divorced that said men are horrible my whole life. I never thought I was going to have kids or be married. Um, 
so that was fine. My full-time job in corporate America, that was fine. Um, I feel at some level though, between the years of 22 and 44, I wasn't serving people in a way that could have made as big of an impact. Yeah. That you were, again, playing smaller. Again, also, you were doing the best you could at the time. 100%. So uh, I think we diminish our capabilities. And at the same time, I know what I'm possible. Yeah. I, I know what's possible for me and what's possible for others. So I did have some moments where I was being impact, impactful, right? Like all of these bike rides that I've done to help people living with HIV and AIDS. That's what I could do while I was a parent and working. However, uh, I was, I was realizing my smallness. <laughs> so most recently, I think with the pandemic is I was saying that I was fine and I really wasn't. I was going into work every day. I really, I think it hit me after I turned 40 because my dad only lived until he was 40. I really started processing what is this life about? Uh, how, how am I really helping, serving, providing support to others? Because I'm really privileged. I'm really blessed. There's a lot of really great things in my life. And I, I could do that, right? I could maintain status quo. And yet that is not serving my soul. <laughs> exactly. So I think it's really this acknowledgement of you can do everything and you can be fine. It's really what are you like, are you living your purpose? Are you, are you, are you moving forward in a powerful way? Living your purpose is something that comes up a lot because people are always looking for what is my purpose, especially when they reach their forties. And as you said you know, whether your parents are passing away when you're in your 40s or like in your situation, you were reflecting on the fact that your dad only lived to be 40. It's still, you know, reflecting on that parent, the, the aging of a parent or the age of a parent and coming up on this, okay, now I've lived these past 40 years. What do I want to do moving forward? Reevaluation. And so that's when people start looking for what, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? Like they're looking around, like it's going to show up out of nowhere. And it sounds like for you, your purpose was better defined than a lot of people because of your experience with your, because of the experience of your dad, what would you advise people who are stuck in a place where they were like, well, I don't know what my purpose is? I really believe that everyone knows what their purpose is. They just haven't spent enough time sitting with themselves. <laughs> so my guidance would be to remember who you are. What are the things that a lot of people tend to look at the negative and the challenges and the trauma, and then that's in, that informs them almost of where they want to serve. Because at some level, I never wanted anyone else's dad or mom to die of AIDS, right? Like I was just like, that's a really stinky feeling to have happen. Uh, I have had some friends that have lost children, and they're now serving other parents that have losses of children. So I think it's this, again, this belonging and this connection where if we lean into where and how we can belong and connect, I think there's something there in regards to your purpose of how you can serve the other in a powerful way. Even with going through divorce, I shared super openly on Facebook, like all of the stuff that was happening. And I had so many women in my little small network 
reach out to me to say, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. Oh my goodness. I think I need to go through divorce as well. Or I had some women that said, I'm stuck. I can never get out. And seeing your freedom at at some level provides me some hope that my life could get better. So for me, I think it's really going deeper. We are so programmed to go, 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 do, 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 do. And I think that the purpose actually comes up in those small, quiet moments. And in society, we do not have enough of those small, quiet moments. Completely agree. I mean... You're talking to the one who's teaching people how to use meditation to get connected with their inner voice. So sure. Yes. I'm glad you mentioned that. What were some of the tools that you used to help you move out of that place of everything's just fine? Mm, Well, unfortunately, it took my stomach being on fire for two years. So I think sometimes we're not able to notice that things are fine until (laughs) we literally are in a place where we're screaming a different four letter word. (laughs) And (laughs) so it, I, I would love for people to acknowledge what's going on for themselves faster than two years. So I was in pain for two years, like legit pain. I was eating rice and chicken every day. It was super painful. So I had to really be hit over the head uh, in order to really acknowledge what was going on for me. And I think when you're in that place of pain to allow and be open to have things come into your life. So because I was in so much pain, I was open to receiving as much help as possible. Cause I knew at that point that I couldn't figure it out on my own. And were doctors not helping you? Oh, uh, Western doctors. No. Yeah. Because I had such an interesting thing happening where I was having histamine response to food. Oh, geez. And I did the gastroenterologist endoscopy, colonoscopy. They couldn't figure it out. I self-diagnosed of here's the foods that I probably shouldn't be eating. And they're like, okay. (laughs) And they gave me the FODMAP and it was just not working. So it wasn't until I found a coaching program that had a doctor tied to it where they did the intake. And at the last, like I did intake for an hour. The last thing I said was, oh, and by the way, my stomach's been hurting for two years. Who does that? (laughs) Who does not acknowledge their health is a major disruption to their life? I just got so used to it. Well, lots of people do it. So you're not alone because I've heard many stories where people's bodies were screaming, like literally like yours, screaming at them and they were not paying attention or they're like, la la la, don't hear you. So I think that uh, with going through that group coaching program, the doctor's like, you need to go see a naturopath. So I went to the naturopath, they did a blood test, and it popped all the foods I shouldn't eat. I don't eat those foods, and I'm great. So that was step one, is like not being satisfied with the answers that you're given. Yes. Continue to get a second opinion, continue to search for your happiness. It will arrive if you continue to not be satisfied. Uh, The second thing is that I was open to meditation. I I think that's beautiful. I wasn't really open to meditation before. I was this doer, this go go person, this accomplishment, where I was like, oh, I have to sit and quiet my brain? That sounds boring. (laughs) I had a lot of of judgment around meditation as the extrovert, right? So I heard about COVID in February and I bought the Deepak Chopra app. Because I said to myself, if this is going to become pandemic state, I need to get my house in order 
because I had already experienced a lot of this emotion and I did not know if I was ready for all that emotion to come up again, mm-hmm. to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, now, now the student is ready. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll do meditation. And actually I spent the most money I've ever spent on a vacation to go and meditate for a week. Wow. And that is when my soul opened up and came alive. And I now then realized that I needed to no longer be fine. So that is, that's the start of it. Those were the, those were the tools that I used was to make sure that from a medicine perspective, I knew how to take care of my body and then meditation. Wow. Okay. Nice. Where did you go on that vacation? Oh, it's this great resort called Savannah in Carefree, Arizona. And we ate vegan for a week. I mean, it was just gorgeous. Uh, They have the saguaro cactuses. And I had so many serendipitous moments that happened. So I really do think that when you quiet yourself down, when you're open to receiving, it's the same thing with, you know, so after that I came back and I was just like, I need to, I need to pivot. I need to get out of corporate America. And that opened me up to do that. And so I think what's really interesting is that um, right now I'm looking at a tree out of my window. However, I don't know what's to the right. I have to actually turn to the right in order to see what's over on the right. So I think that's where we get stuck a lot is we actually have to take the action to shift and change, and then we can see the new landscape. We want to see the new landscape before we move, before we take action, before we do something different, and I and you're not going to see it. You have to literally jump off the ship and land in the water in order to see all the ocean creatures. Yes. Oh, that's such a good analogy. And and I was also thinking, as you were saying, that we have to look off the path that's immediately in front of us. So when you're saying you have to look to the right, like we can get so focused, you know, and it's a, in a, a lot of ways, it's a good thing to put blinders on and to not pay attention to what everyone else is doing in the comparison trap and just focus on your own path and at the same time to turn left and turn right and see what might be off that that well-worn path that's right in front of you <laughs> to see something different. What I love about that is we have this thing called the ego as well. So I have to be able to be humble enough to say, I don't know the right way. You might know a piece of the right way that I want to capture and bring into my life. So if we're not looking to the right or looking to the left, we could actually be be passing by a lot of really great things that could help us or serve us, strengthen us, uh, embolden us. So I think we also have to be open to uh, the landscape, as you put it. I love that. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I have so enjoyed this conversation. And for those of you who are listening, because we don't publish the video. So Gina was concerned before we got on here that her puppy was going to be a little wild and, and unruly and disruptive. And she was not at all. So yay. She was a good girl. She was. (laughs) Before we go, my always ending question. What's your hype song when you need to get a boost of energy? Maybe when you're you're biking from Minneapolis to Chicago or wherever else you're going, what's the song that gets you all hyped up? Well, it's interesting because I do like to bike and I also like to dance, which not everyone knows now about they me. Do. That's a little bit more under the radar. <laughs> now they do. <laughs> I just let my secret out. So I love this band called um, Walk the Moon, and they have a really great song called Shut Up and Dance With Me. 
So I love that song because I just want to dance and dance and dance and turn the music up really, really loud. So that would be my hype song because I really want to just dance. That is such a good song. Like you can't sit still listening to that song. I can't anyway. Mm. Not at all. Awesome. So if someone wants to continue a conversation with you around what we talked about or anything else they want to chat with you about, where do they find you? Yes. Well, definitely on LinkedIn. So Gina Lemon and again, the new company we created People Possibility on Instagram and Our website will be up shortly. Uh, So depending on when someone's listening to this, they can connect via our website as well. Awesome. I will put a link to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me today, Gina, on Fine is a Four-Letter Word. Oh, Lori, you are a pleasure. Thank you so much. I knew from the first conversation I had with Gina, she was going to bring a different and interesting story to the show. You can just tell she has such a kind soul. Here are today's takeaways. Number one, Gina's definition of success is about how the other people in her life are doing and how her community is doing. Success is tied into helping other people struggle less. Number two, a feeling of wholeness in life comes down to the ABCs, aliveness, belonging, and connection. Of course, what that looks like specifically is up to you to define for yourself. Number three, one of the questions to ask when you're interacting with people who have different viewpoints is, how do we support each other, even though our perspectives might be different? Number four, our brains are still wired like they were in the caveman days, which causes people to spend 70% of their time in the fight flight, or freeze response. We are wired to respond to fear. So you need to notice how fear shows up for you and then take it a step further and notice how it shows up for others. When you do that, then you're able to do something productive with it instead of sweeping it under the rug and pretending it doesn't exist. Number five, the more you can speak your own truth, you give others the space to speak theirs. And when you can allow them to speak their truth without being threatened by it, the more we open up as a society. And number six, this topic of knowing your purpose came up again. Gina believes everyone really does know what their purpose is, but you think you don't because you haven't spent enough time sitting with yourself. Instead of going, going, going and doing, 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 you're only going to find your purpose in the small quiet moments. Another thing that might be helpful is looking back at the past challenges and traumas first, like she did with not wanting anyone else's dad to die from AIDS, and then leaning into where and how you can belong and connect and find your purpose through serving others in that space. Thanks for being here and subscribing to Find is a Four-Letter Word. Please share this show with a friend or a colleague. If you're feeling especially generous, leave a review so other people like you can discover the show too. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and all the major podcast directories. You can join me on social too. On Instagram, it's zen underscore rabbit. You can find links to the other platforms at zenrabbit.com. Before you go, remember to take a moment to think about what you're grateful for today. 
Lastly, you can find this week's meditation queued up right after this episode. And if no one's told you this week, I'm proud of you. Take good care.